Welcome to the Wonder Learn Podcast. I'm your host, Franz Tapon. In this episode, I interview Pamela Morgan. She is the person who wrote the book called Crypto Inheritance Planning, A Simple Guide to Owners. And I also ask her about what smart contracts, which are cryptocurrency smart contracts, if this happens, then this. How does that apply to inheritance? These are complicated topics, but I hope they're useful because you know what? You're going to die and you better have a plan on what if you even have a little bit of crypto, how are your heirs going to get it? And now, Pamela Morgan. questions before we wrap up sure. uh, one is when will smart contracts apply to inheritance so this is a great question that i get all the time um, and there are a number of of smart contract kind of companies especially in the ethereum space that are working to kind of um, streamline the inheritance process uh to answer your question i have not found any that i would trust with my cryptocurrency or you know my clients and the reason there are a number of reasons one is because when we are dealing in cryptocurrency and we're doing day trading those are really short periods of time so we can identify failures very quickly right so if you're losing money today tomorrow the next day you'll know with inheritance planning we are hopefully not talking about a long time frame right Hopefully you're going to live to a nice, yeah, 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 exactly. Or more. So the idea is we, and it's very difficult to plan a system that will continue to work under the same expectations today that will actually work in 30 years, particularly when you consider that the technology, for example, Ethereum, you know, isn't even 10 years old. So when you're talking about putting things onto, it doesn't mean never, it just means not yet. So the idea of using smart contracts in this way that's going to be robust, I wouldn't trust it with my with my wealth. If you guys want to be the guinea pigs, I will gladly look at the research and I will applaud you if it works and I'll cry with you if it doesn't. But well, with your family, you know, um, but, you know, the, the idea is that for my clients, the answer is is a hard no on that. Um, I think that there's a lot lost in the industry also um, about the legal side of it and the human side of it. So with these solutions that we're seeing with smart contracts, for example, you know, when we're talking about self-custody, we're very concerned with how do we get our keys safely to the person or people that we want to get them to when the time is right, but not before, right? The thing is, is with... you. Cryptocurrency doesn't exist in a vacuum. We are, our assets are going to people and those people live in jurisdictions and those jurisdictions have very clear laws about who is able to inherit, when they're able to inherit, what taxes are owed on that, all of these things. So we, it's, it's quite problematic for us to look at inheritance planning solely from a key, you know, access point of view and not and to ignore the law side of 
things. And the reason is because from a practical perspective, you can start wars within your family. So for example, if I don't have a will in my, wherever I'm living, whatever jurisdiction, they have what's called a default law, which is basically, if I don't say what's going to happen to my stuff, the state says, okay, well, you didn't say, so it's going to go to, you know, your spouse, your kids, your parents, and it's going to be divided in this way. Now, let's say that I have five kids, okay, but only one of them is crypto savvy. So now, if anyone studied game theory, you know that you may have created a difficult situation where only one of them actually has access through the smart contract. And now you've created a situation that puts that child against the other four children, right? And if you've got, you know, Mary Poppins household, if if you've got, you know, you can't ever see that, you know, there will be a difficulty uh, within your family structure, I hope that's true for you. But the evidence says that many, many families are broken apart by this. And so it would really be a shame, in my opinion, to have your family broken up by the fact that you wanted to use a smart contract and you put them in a position that wasn't actually fair and and in alignment with the the law in your jurisdiction. I know you're working on this, and so I don't want you to reveal too much, but just tease us with how NFTs, non-fungible tokens, are different than crypto assets when it comes to inheritance. Oh, I am happy to share. One of the things that you might not know is that um, I'm a big believer in open source and and especially in this industry, you know, most of the things that we have are built on open source and open sharing of information. So I'm quite happy to share. Right, but this whatever is work in you. progress for you, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so my work in progress, I think it's important to note that, you know, I'm still doing research on this. Um, So I think that NFTs pose a very interesting set of challenges for inheritance planning, um, particularly because there is no standardized NFT, meaning that an NFT can have an, I mean, I would say an infinite uh, infinite number of of characteristics to it, right? You might be entitled to, you know, the NFT might might represent a character like bored apes, right? Uh, most people in the industry have seen bored apes, and so what does a bored ape NFT allow the owner to do? Well, according to the terms of service, you can commercialize it. So you may have seen like some people doing um, a bar that that is related to their their ape or a beer that's related to their ape. Recently, Adidas did a shoe that's related to their ape. And so you can do all sorts of kind of layering on NFTs. And there's a there's a standard in the Ethereum network that allows an NFT to own an NFT. I'm going to give you a second to like really digest that because, yeah. So meta. Yeah, meta, 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 right? Um, So, you know, the idea is your bored ape could own, you know, Tiffany's necklace and be wearing, you know, carrying a Birkin bag or whatever, right? And then the question becomes, if you... And, and they have a concert ticket NFT to some uh, concert. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I was uh, speaking of concerts, I was actually just reading about how Universal Music has a, a focus group all about crypto. And so they're actually, they have four apes 
and they're creating kind of a gorillas type band. So do you some of you who are my age might remember uh, gorillas, which which is and continues to be a virtual band. And so what they're doing effectively is mirroring that kind of that kind of music. They're putting together personalities for each of the apes. They're going to be releasing music. And they're going to be releasing all sorts of different tours and access things based upon these NFTs. So the NFTs themselves are now creating music to be released as NFTs, right? So again, you have layers upon layers upon layers. When it comes to inheritance planning, the question is, what do you actually own? What is the actual value of the thing that you own? Do you owe taxes on it? Do you not owe taxes on it? How does that work? And then how do you actually effectuate transfer of that asset from one person to another? And so, for example, if I owned an ape and I passed away, in my will or my trust, ideally a trust, um, hopefully it would say you're going to retain that ape or if you're going to sell it, this is how you're going to distribute the proceeds, right? What's happening in law right now is lawyers have been told that unless a client specifically says in their will they want to hold cryptocurrency, that they are to liquidate all of the cryptocurrency immediately. That is currently best practice. Now you might say, well, why? The reason is because in most jurisdictions, uh, certainly in the United States, there's something called the prudent investor rule. And what this means in you know layman's terms is basically, if I'm managing your money, I can't put it in a bunch of risky stuff. I need to be a prudent investor because I am holding this on behalf of other people. And so if I'm making investment decisions, I need to be a prudent investor. And so what happens is if you pass away, your executor will then be put in that position of being a prudent investor. And as we all know, crypto is considered super volatile. Even the most you know, non-volatile bits of our industry are considered very volatile when compared to traditional investments. What are you talking about? The USDT was very stable stable coin. <laughs> I mean, yes, exactly. I, I misspoke. I, I think you got the joke. I meant UST. Yes, I, I did. I said USDT. I yeah, but I totally got the yeah, joke. Yeah. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you've got an executor who's scared of crypto, they're, they're in, it's in their best interest to liquidate it all and then just distribute that as a normal asset, you know, as a normal bank account or cash asset to your, to your heirs. So if you don't want that to happen... You must take action. You must have a will or a trust, ideally a trust, but you must have some documentation that it instructs, legally instructs the executor to not do that. This is one of the things I love about cryptocurrencies and, and crypto assets is that this is a whole new area of law. And we are, you know, we, meaning the community, are developing best practices as we go. We're learning from each other. We're figuring out, okay, well, this worked in this jurisdiction, but this didn't work here. And how do we make sure that we're able to maintain privacy, that we're able to maintain fungibility, that we're able to maintain all the things that we care about while simultaneously having this other thing, which is how do we make sure that our loved ones can inherit 
these assets. And those two things are at odds. And so there's a lot of different ways to kind of square the circle. And so I can tell you in my experience what has worked for most of my clients. I can tell you in my experience that, you know, again, most people are not going to sit down. Most people don't even want to sit down and do a will, let alone a crypto will. They're just like, oh, oh, this sounds right. so terrible. Like, anything but this, right? They're like, oh, scrubbing the floor sounds right. great in comparison to this, right? <laughs> anything right. to get away from it. Right. Um, but it is of vital importance if you are a cryptocurrency owner, if you are, especially if you're a self-custody person, um, you know, doing right. simple things like one of the examples I have in my book and in my workshop is when you make your little letter to your family, include a photo of your hardware wallet. <laughs> like this is what a Trezor looks like. This is what a ledger looks like. This is what a cold card looks like. Yes. And the thing is, is you don't have to tell them how to use it. They can contact you know, reputable people and, and you know, they can even contact cold card. You know, there, there are ways to effectuate access without giving them a whole list of um, of access points. I, I do want to say one other thing about this idea of um, of giving a list of things of for your family to do. Have you ever seen the video where this guy has two kids and they're instructing him on how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? Oh, I, I've, I've heard of it. I don't think I actually saw the video, though. Okay. So basically what he does is he's playing this game with his, his kids, teaching them about, about assumptions, about assumptions that we don't realize that we make. And so this video is about, he's like, okay, teach me how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And they're like, okay, take the bread and put peanut butter on it. And he literally takes the loaf of bread and puts the jar of peanut butter on top of it. And, and the kids are like, no, no. And he's like, but that's what you told me to do. And I use this example because when we are writing instructions, particularly for cryptocurrency access, we have all of these assumptions that we don't know that we have. And the only way to test those assumptions is to actually run through the instructions with a loved one. So if you have someone in your life Preferably you really your stupidest loved one. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yes. Preferably your yes. Yes. Your dumbest loved one who has no. Yes. Um, <laughs> I love this. So, but but the, I do have clients who trust their spouse, for example, you know, completely. And although we've discussed the chance of divorce and relationship breakdowns and all these things, they feel confident in this. And so what they've done is they've done a step-by-step -step instruction. And then what they do is they play a game. I love games. So they say, okay, I'm not here, go. And they have their spouse read instruction by instruction. And then they're like, I have no idea what this means. Like, I, what is a passphrase? Right, right, right. What is a hardware wallet? I have and no you can, idea. And you can do it so easily. You could just change the passphrase. You could change the, the pin code. Exactly. And just make them go through it. Just make just the exercise, the mechanics. And then when you actually die, you'll get the real pin code. Exactly. You can even set up. So hardware wallets, um, you can change the pin. So you can set up right. your, your sample pin for them and actually have them physically right. walk through. That's right. You can also fund... Yeah. Uh, you can you can take some yeah. a small amount of money. I did a I, I did a right. talk, I did a talk once 
um, for, I was illustrating passphrases and hardware wallets. And so I did in real time, I was like, okay, if you can guess my passphrase, you get the money, which was really fun. No one could guess it. Um, but also what I, <laughs> what I did for that was I set up the specific passphrase and funded it with a very small amount so that they would see the difference between when they access something that has funds versus when they access something that doesn't have funds. And they would realize that there's no error and all of the other things. And I was able to use my same device that I have you know, my crypto on, but with a different passphrase, it was completely safe and, and good to do that. So walking through step by step. Brilliant strategy. If you have someone to do it is, is hugely effective. It also allows the person to ask questions in real time while you're still there. So, um, you know, I have had clients, unfortunately, who have um, who have had uh, who've known that they were going to pass. And so this is one of the strategies that we use with them and with their loved ones is, OK, so, you know, if when this happens, let's walk through so that you actually know how to, how to deal with this. Well, actually, all your clients know that they will pass. Indeed. But. Many of us live in denial. <laughs> and if you don't, you're in denial. <laughs> Many of us live in a state of denial, right? We're like, uh, no, that's not going to happen for a long time. Right now, I've got this big list of things I need to do. Um, I want to I want to talk about I, I want to bring up this really interesting case just because I think that I think that it kind of illustrates the idea that, you know, this kind of planning isn't just limited to people who have crypto assets. So, and maybe this is the wrong time at the end of the podcast to get into this, but sure. this sort of planning, this sort of planning is important for people even if they don't have crypto assets. I'll just use this as a tease because I would love to have you back in a few more months and then maybe you can expand on it, but just tease them for some future episode. Absolutely, I'd love to. So I'm gonna tell you about a, the, the case of Tamarind Art LLC, versus uh, Hussein and a bunch of other people. So basically what happened was um, this LLC, Tamarind Art, purchased this huge mural from an artist for $400,000. A regular mural, a nor no crypto anywhere, okay? Many years ago. And all of a sudden, now NFTs are a thing. So the owner, Tamarind Art, said, hey, this is a historical, it's, it, it had historical significance, this, this mural. And so they had done other um, kind of derivative pieces because they owned the, out, the, the artwork um, outright, so they believed. And so what happened was Tamarind Art decided that they were going to issue NFTs based upon this art. Now, the artist had passed away, but the artist's estate continued to live, right? Because the artist retained rights in a lot of their artwork. So what happened was the artist's estate said, oh, hell no, you can't go and do this. This is our right. This wasn't in the original contract. You have no right to do this. And so, and remember, friends, at issue is always money. So they can say, oh yeah, you don't have a right to do this. But what they're really saying is, if you do this, we get all the money, right? That's effectively what's happening, right? I need my cut. And so this went to court and um, they agree, they ended up uh, agreeing to a settlement. But the interesting piece about it for me is that this artist's estate 
who was managing the royalties and, and, and the legacy of the artist now has this entirely new set of concerns, an entirely new set of rights, an entirely new set of revenue streams that they can possibly leverage. And now, because technology has changed, now we have these new opportunities where we didn't have these opportunities before. Now these opportunities are are going directly into our regular physical assets, right? Imagine to go all the way back to the beginning of our discussion. What if someone creates an NFT of your home? Like, who owns the rights to that? We don't know, right? And so there, there's a whole, there's a whole area, and this is what my current research is focused on. This whole area of, you know, what are the rights between NFTs and, you know, current right holders, and how does that work? And importantly, how do we want it to work? Because we are at the forefront right now of these systems. Right now, we have the opportunity to influence how they're developed. And and the regulators need to hear voices that are pro-privacy, that are pro-open source, that are all of these things and, and hold the values that we care about. Because many of them are only hearing voices that relate to you know, the status quo, the people who currently own this kind of IP. So um, this is why these things are so interesting to me. It's, it is fascinating, and I'll definitely have you back. Thank you, Pamela. Quickly, uh, how do people get a hold of you and, and find your book? It's on Amazon, Pamela Morgan. It, it is. It's on Amazon. Um, it's also in ebook. It's also on audiobook, and I've done a workshop. You can find the workshop at uh, aantonop.com. Uh, under workshops, it was a collaboration with uh, Andreas Antonopoulos for uh, another organization, and uh, we did. So the workshop is hosted there, uh, and with the workshop, you also get a free uh, copy of the ebook. And the ebook, as well as the paperback, goes step by step. So you know, it's step by step, easy to read not written in legalese. Don't be afraid. I promise you, you can follow this. So again, thank you so much for having me on. Thank you for letting me nerd out with you about my favorite topic, uh, inheritance planning and crypto. (laughs) Excellent. I'll put a link to the show notes to both your website as well as the book. Great. Thank you so much. And that ends this episode of the WanderLearn podcast, where we explore travel technology and transformation. If you'd like to see the show notes with links to what we've talked about, go to wanderlearn.com and click on this episode. If you'd like to connect with me, just remember F Tapon. That's my first initial and my last name. F Tapon is always my social media username. My website is ftapon.com. Do you want to leave me an anonymous voicemail where you can make a comment or ask a question? Then go to speakpipe.com slash ftapon. Furthermore, if you'd like to get rewarded for supporting my projects, then go to patreon.com slash ftapon. That's where you can pick up some remarkable rewards for as little as $2 a month. Now, five quick favors. Number one, subscribe to the WanderLearn podcast. Two, download it. Three, share it. Four, review it. And five, sign up for my newsletter at wanderlearn.com. Our theme music was composed by Eric Stratman. This is Francis Tapon encouraging you to wander and learn. Thank you.